1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we are tonight, verses 1 through 13. One of the most prophetic, not pathetic, but prophetic things that Jesus ever said. He said to His disciples on the night of His betrayal, He had them all together, and He said, He gave this command, He said, Love one another, and then the prophetic statement, By this shall all men know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. Now it's important to notice what he did not say. He did not say that if you are a serious student of the Word, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple. And he did not say if you are consistent in your um, response to temple or synagogue worship and study, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple. He didn't say that. Nor did he say, if you are a witness of the truth of God to all men, by that people will know you're my disciple. He did not say that. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple, if you have love for one another. For the one thing that was unique, that was different about Christianity about the followers of Jesus was the loving relationship this little band had uh, with each other. And as the world observed them and the love they shared for one another, by that they knew they were disciples. Because after all, there were hundreds of people who were serious students of the Word. I mean, the Pharisees knew the Scripture by heart. They memorized the Torah that, that wasn't the unique thing. And, and the temple and the synagogue was regularly attended. It, they had so many folks at the temple, they had to take turns, did the priest, in, 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 in performing the ritual. It wasn't that. And Judaism certainly was propagated through the known world. It wasn't that. But the thing that impressed the world as they observed these, this band of believers was the loving relationship they had toward one another. Now I want to read two verses of Scripture. I want you to turn to them before we get to the passage that we're going to consider tonight. So I want you to turn to Romans 12. I want you to turn to Galatians 5, okay? And I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture. Now as you're turning those, to those verses of Scripture, I want you to hear it listen with one ear, okay? And listen to this. I believe that the root, the, uh, at the, the root of, of the ministry of the church, everything grows out of this one root, and that is that we have love for one another. I'm convinced that, that whatever we do in the church, if there is not this undergirding, this root of love for one another, it's like sounding brass and glang, clanging cymbals. We can give our body to be burned, but if there is not this root of love within the family, within the fellowship, I mean, it profits nothing. So that in the church, in, 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 the, in the beginning, in the, in the believers, there had to be this root of love out of which everything else grew. And I want to show you in these two verses what love does Okay? I want to show you what love does. If there is the root of love in the fellowship, 
And out of that root grows everything that the church does and practices. This is what love does. If there is genuine love in the first place, if there is genuine love, love submits. Okay? I want to read uh, Romans 12, verse 10. Listen. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference, that is, submit to one another in honor. A word preference there is the, is the idea of submission. It's the exact opposite of having to have your own way, of being dominant, of having your own desires, your own um, uh, needs met. It's submitting to one another. And he says, you do it in honor. That is, it's an honor to do that. It's not a burden to do it. It's not something you resent. It's an honor. It's an honor to get to submit to you and to live in submissiveness to you, giving preference to your needs and your desires and your wants. All right? So that if there is the genuine article in the fellowship of believers, then love, that genuine article means that there will be submission. Now let's look to the Galatian passage. Galatians chapter 5 and the verse is 13. Genuine love submits, genuine love serves. Verse 13, But I, brethren, if I still... No, verse 13, I'm sorry. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Genuine love serves. Now, wouldn't you like to be a part of that of a fellowship that has at its root genuine love, that, that, that finds it an honor to, to submit and a joy to serve one another. And when that happens, he says, the world around will say, truly, they are His disciples. You know that little song we used to sing? Uh, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Now, the real essence of this passage that's before us, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the real essence of this passage is this. It is the extent of my love. What is the extent of my love as a believer? is the extent of my love serving and submissive. Now, I need to give you some background. You need to understand that this passage is of immense significance to us. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul felt that this, what he's dealing with here in this passage in chapter 8 was so important to the life of the church that he devoted three chapters to it. Now, just the sheer weight of the volume of material ought to make us understand that there is nothing any more important to the life of this church than to understand the principle that is involved here. That is, that if we love one another, we will submit and serve. That is the extent of our love. Now, this is the background. The going issue in Paul's day was not dancing, or going to, to, to movies or playing cards. The real issue in Paul's day was idle meat. Now that's not I-D-L-E, it's I-D-O-L, idle meat. Now I need to tell you what that involved. Most of you already know. 
idol meat was this meat that had been offered to idols. There were all these uh, uh, pagan temples throughout uh, Corinth, and they had these pagan uh, priests and prophets in these temples, and people would bring uh, sacrifices to the pagan temples, uh, uh, beef, meat, and, uh, and, and offer them as sacrifices, and there'd be meat left over from the sacrifice. Now, what do you do with all that meat that people have offered in these, these pagan temples? Well, they sold it. And they had these meat markets down in the streets of Corinth, and they'd take this meat that was offered to idols, left over, it wasn't consumed on the altar, and they'd offer it at, but, at uh, cut-rate prices down in, in the meat markets. I mean, you'd get a ribeye steak, you know, for like 39 cents a pound uh, on us, uh, at this meat market. And there were the, not only did they have meat markets down there, but they had these uh, kind of little restaurants that were attached to the pagan temples. And they would serve meals using this meat in, these, in this restaurant. And people would come and eat there. And then sometimes people would buy this meat and they'd have a big parties and they'd invite their neighbors over and you'd get over there to start eating and you'd find out that you were eating meat offered to idols. Now, now the question was, was there, uh, did it mean that the people who ate these idols were guilty of idolatry by association? I mean, if you saw one of these men, a person, a believer perhaps, sitting in this restaurant attached to the temple, pagan temple, eating this meat, what, did, did you consider him idolatrous by, by association? And, and, and what about these folks who ate this meat offered to these idols? Did that mean that I'm compromising with idolatry to do it? Well, the church was divided over that matter. I mean, some thought, yes, that's a sin to do that. And others thought, no, there's nothing wrong with that. And so they wrote Paul and asked him to deal with the issue. The whole church was divided over it. And so Paul's trying to deal with it. Now, here's the issue. Here's the question. What, here's what this involves. Am I willing to restrain my liberty out of love for others? Am I willing to not eat the meat if it's going to cause somebody to stumble? I mean, do I have that kind of submissive serving love? Now, there are two principles in this passage. One is the principle of liberty. Now, I want you to read with me verses 1 and 4. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Verse 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols... We know, underline, that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, now, here's the principle of liberty. He's saying we have a knowledge, we have a knowledge that this weaker brother does not have. We know that, that, this is, uh, that there's no such thing as an idol. We, we know, we have a knowledge that's been provided us that a weaker brother does not have. We know it's not wrong. And, and then he gives a kind of a little parenthesis here, and I think it's important to get this. He says that knowledge alone results in arrogance. Now, you know that to be true, don't you? I mean, you, you, you've seen those folks who, who feel like they have this, this you know, deep understanding of the Word, and, 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 and it's just made them so arrogant. You know, they've been off to all these conferences and they've heard all these tapes and done all these Bible studies and they just have this, it just kind of a, exudes a kind of an arrogance and they just kind of make you feel like, well, you, you ought to know what I know, you know. 
Knowledge that abides alone results in arrogance, he says. And that's what Peter means when he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And in, in, in 2 Peter he says, add to, vir, add to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Now what he's saying is this, you can't live your life just on the basis of what you know. There has to be a balance between your knowledge and grace. There has to be a balance between knowledge and self-control. You may know something that the weaker brother doesn't know, but that doesn't give you privilege to exercise your liberty in that because you have to combine that knowledge that God has given you concerning this subject with grace and self-control. You have to think about that weaker brother. And he says there in verse 4, he says, We all know that, that as far as idolatry is con- concerned, there's nothing to that. There's no other gods. In other words, if I'm going to make my decision tonight solely on knowledge, then it's all right for me to do this. But I can't make my decision concerning what I'm going to do just on the basis of what I understand from Scripture. I've got to consider this weaker brother over here. Now look at verses 9 through 11. I think that's the key. But take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined, the the brother for whose sake Christ died. That's the key. You make your decision about what you're going to do concerning these issues, not on the basis of your understanding of the Scripture, but what it's going to do to Him. That leads us to the second principle. Now, by the way, um, this is so relevant to us because, I mean, it speaks to young people. It speaks to adults. It speaks to college students. I mean, you just insert, you don't have to, you know, erase the idea of meat off of dietals and insert that doubtful issue that, that, that concerns you in your time, whatever it is. Now, we're talking about doubtful issues. We're not talking about going to X-rated movies. We know that's wrong. The Bible's already told us about doing those things that cause us to lust. He's not talking about social drinking. He's not talking about drinking. We know that's wrong. I mean, the Scripture's plain about that. We're talking about doubtful things. Things that are kind of in those, that gray issue, that gray area. Now, here's the principle of love. We, 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 have to, we have to understand that there are some things that are not bad. He says that there in, verses, in verse 7 and 8, he said meat in itself is not bad, it's neutral. But it might have a bad connotation for some people. It might have a bad influence on somebody else. Now, I think one of the most important phases of maturity is coming to understand what is right and what is wrong. And what we're dealing with tonight is not a legalist. Now, there's some people who are just legalistic. They say, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, and they're legalistic. We're not talking about that. He makes a very emphatic point in verses 7, 9, and 10 that we're talking about the weaker brother, the person who doesn't understand. And he describes the weaker brother. In verse 11, he says two things about him. He says he's, the, he's a, a believer. He's, he, he's a Christian, but he's never been taught. And in verse 11, he says that he lacks a knowledge of his own liberty. He hasn't matured as a Christian. 
And verse 10, he, he says, he's a person who is easily offended because he's a follower of men rather than of God. Now, this is the guy we're talking about. He's a person who is a, who is a believer, a new Christian, but he hasn't been taught. And what he's doing is he's watching other people to see how they live. And he's basing his ethic, his Christian life, on what he sees of others. He's a weak brother. He's a weak Christian. Now, what am I to do with him? What, what am I to do about these things in my own life that I feel like are all right, but he sees them as a stumbling block? Well, the, the, the proper response is verse 13. Now, look at that. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. If it's going to cause my brother to stumble, if I drink socially, I'll never drink socially again. Well, I don't drink anyway, but... If it means that, 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 that telling uh, some kind of a colored joke is going to cause my brother to stumble, I'll never tell that joke again. If it means that, that uh, going to the movies is going to make my brother stumble, I'll never go to another one. That's what he's saying. If, if, that's a heavy word there. It leaves the door open for that man to be taught, for that weaker brother to understand. But as long as that weaker brother is going to stumble, if I do this thing, I'll never do it again. Now that's the extent of love. Let me tell you something. This, this seems pretty rigid, and that's the problem with, with, with our world, I think, our Christian, our Christian life and the Christian church, is we've gotten so far away from the way it ought to be, it seems weird to us. And I'm convinced that if we, had a, if we have a, a, a fellowship of believers who were so um, committed to Jesus Christ and were so undergirded with this, this, this love for one another that, that a person would say, all right, I will, if that causes one to stumble, I'll never do it again. We'd make an impact on our world. We'd make an impact. When we start loving like that, when we start submitting like that, when we start serving one another like that, instead of saying, well, this is all right for me, I can do it because there's nothing wrong with it, I don't say a thing wrong with it, and we start thinking, we start saying, if that's going to cause anybody to stumble, my weaker brother to stumble, I'll never do it again. We're going to start making an impact on our world. Now, here's the, the point. If you got that in your outline, this is the, this is the main point of this message. The extent of your love is determined by the attitude with which you restrain your liberty. The extent of your love is determined by the attitude with which we restrain our liberty. How much do you love that's determined by the attitude with which you restrain your liberty? Amazing Amazing truth. And what Jesus is saying throughout his teaching in that prophetic statement and what Paul is, the impact Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 8 is this. The important thing is not what you know by revelation. The important thing is how you love. I want to do it for my brother's sake. I'll lay down my life for my brother's sake. I'll sacrifice whatever's necessary for my brother. What a, what a fellowship. Now there's an application. I want to make the application by two examples. There are two examples that I want to use in application. 
you might just want to get this down. Let's just suppose, hypothetically, you meet an untaught Christian in the church. He kind of hangs around you. Here's an untaught Christian. You've been a Christian all your life. You meet an untaught Christian. And he's kind of sets you up as his example, his earthly example. Question, okay? Three points to the question. You test yourself. Number one, does that person bother you? Does it bother you that he sets you up as his example and he's watching you? Yes or no? Question number two, this is A and B choice. Do you think, don't get in my way, that's A, or B, I wonder how I can help this person? Question number three, A and B choice. A, do you say, I'll do as I please, or B, I wonder if I do this thing, how it will affect him? Pretty heavy questions. Example number two. Somebody's moved in next door to you at, home, at your home or in the next room in the dorm. I mean, he's just come out of grossed out background. I mean, terrible background. And you've come out of a situation of paralyzing legalism. And I know what that's like. I mean, paralyzing legalism. Where you had this list of rules that said you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And here's this guy next door to you who's come out of this grossed out background of pure sin. Question number one. Do you take his moving in next door to you as from the Lord, yes or no? Second question. Do you, think you, do you think of things you can do without His finding out? I'll do this and won't let Him know about it. Third question. Do you see Him as an investment? Do you see Him as an investment. Now, let me make this statement that I'm through. I'm concerned tonight that the church becomes a knowledge factor, a factory. I'm concerned that we come to Sunday school and church and we get all this knowledge about the Word of God and etc. And that knowledge makes us independent rather than interdependent. And if I understand the New Testament con the New Testament genius, the, the genius of the church, it is this that once you become a part of this of a body called the church, you are inseparably linked up to the lives of others and your life is no longer your own. So that whatever you do must be done in the consideration of how this is going to affect your brother. And if I'm willing to consider it an honor to submit to you and even serve you when serving you seems like the weirdest thing in the world to do. 
then somehow I have entered into the lifestyle of the New Testament. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll impress upon our heart the magnitude of being a a Christian, a part of the body of Christ, and to understand that we are no longer our own. And I pray you'll help us to have that kind of love that would cause the world to say, truly, he is a disciple of Jesus. He's just like his master. Forgive us because we're not there. Help us to get there. In Jesus' name.